good morning, good afternoon, good evening. However, wherever, whenever you're listening, this is the Root for Wisconsin show. Episode 126, coming at you from the River, Riverwood Gallery Studio in De Pere, Wisconsin, slash O'Connell Falls, Wisconsin. I'm host producer Eric Fisher, the Big E. Joining me by the Skype room this week, we've got member of the Highway 22 crew, Sean Klosterman. Sean, how you doing, buddy? Doing good, how are you? Fantastic, glad to be here. Lots to talk about, plenty of football as always. Plenty of other sports as always. Before we do so, got to start off with our friends over at RaiseEnergyRepSports.com, code ROOT4, R-O-O-T, number 4, 15% off of any order. That's code ROOT4, 15% off your orders there. Also, our friends over at RPW Rage and Pro Wrestling. As always, we talk about them. We've got November 3rd and 4th back-to-back nights. We've got RPW Destiny 3 on uh, November 4th. That one's the Saturday in the Big Apple in Manitowoc. Also have RPW Homecoming Friday, November 3rd at the Wapaka Expo Center. For, tickets are still available for both. Looks like only 17 front row seats available for the Wapaka show. Only 7 for the one in Manitowoc. So get them while they're available. We will be in attendance, or we are scheduled to be in attendance. As always, things are subject to change that far out. But we will be there. Plenty of matches on the card that are being announced as we get closer and closer. Be sure to go to the RPW Rage and Pro Wrestling Facebook page, the social media channels as well. Tickets available at the event centers as well as Look Sharp in the Fox River Mall and rpwprowrestling.com. For your tickets, go there now. With that, Sean, let's jump right in the episodes. We have a lot to talk about this week, and we're going to start off with what what we had rooted for. Easy for me to say. With what we had rooted for, and that is brought to you by Fanatics, over 300-plus powered stores, including all the latest and greatest in the NFL. Show your love for your team with hashtag 2023 Fanatics NFL kickoff. Whether you're a Packers fan repping the new jerseys of just about everybody on the roster. Or if you're an established team and looking for some new gear, check them out, fanatics.com. Go to the link in the Fishsticks20 Instagram bio as well. If you don't have fanatics.com or the Fanatics app or any other access to it, go there as well. Sean, I'm going to let you lead this off. What had you rooted for in the last week? I'm pretty sure I just rooted for Hades, and that was a blast this last weekend. Put on 14 miles walking, and just had an amazing time. How much money did you spend out at Hades? Are you at liberty? Hold on, let me let me let me ask you this, because I know that we're recording at home. So I know you're recording at home. You're a newly married man. Are you at liberty to say the actual amount that you spent at Hades? It it wasn't as bad as the, some of the people I were I was with, so I could I I'll leave it at that. Okay, I will. I can respect that, and I will leave it at that because I choose life. Right. <laughs> um, my root for last week uh, was both Eve of Destruction, which if you have not gone to that, it is a wild event at WIR in Kakana. Um it's not quite just a demolition derby. It's really not any one thing. 
but it is they've got dirt bike tricks they've got kind of different kind of souped up cars doing burnouts they've got a bus figure eight race they've got a regular figure eight race it's just a one-of-a-kind event and it's a boatload of fun um so i was there on friday night with fellow co-host ramsey and some of his work people celebrate one of his works workers uh birthdays so that was a fun friday afternoon and then just Taking in the weekend of football, which, like I said, we're going to talk about plenty throughout the episode. But the weekend of football, uh, football officially back, college football, NFL football, it's all back in the full swing of things. Games matter now. Stats matter. Records matter. And fantasy football is also back. Mm -hmm. And those matter as well. So uh, we'll talk about that all later in the show. But just fun having that back in our lives as well right with the positives do come the negatives and that leads us to our Tyler hero noogie of the week no sponsor on that yet but business owners out there if you're looking to have a cheap sponsorship on a podcast this is your opportunity we are loyal people we will full-on wear any gear that you provide us we you know we would probably be like nascar drivers let's get us a fire suit we'll wear it around we're loyal so Tyler here in early the week, looking for a sponsor on this segment, as pretty much all our other segments. But Tyler here in early the week, Sean, what do you got for us? Uh, I'm going to go with the refs from the Badger game on Saturday. Yes, and we'll go through this a little bit more um, right. later in the episode when we talk about the Badgers and focus on them. But I, I got to say, Pac-12 officiating on a Saturday night, Primetime non-conference game, obviously, because the Pac-12 and Big Ten aren't in the same conference technically yet. <laughs> but, um, yeah, that was a nothing short of a disaster at times. Um, like I said, we'll leave it at that for now. We'll talk about that more in detail. But I, I will wholeheartedly agree it was far from a great showing. Right, it was, um, especially it was, a very key fourteen-point swing. Right, it was just tough to watch there, getting closer to the end. But we'll hit on that later. Absolutely, uh, my nugget of the week. I was that was what I was kind of leading into the clubhouse with. Is that's kind of where I was going. But honestly, I'm I'm do this every once in a while, and I'm not proud to do it, but it needs to be said. There is a small portion of Wisconsin sports fans that just need to calm down on some stuff. After Saturday night's game, the people calling for Luke Fickle's job two games in, saying he's not it, um, you got to trust the process. This is a team that was barely above 500 last year, really a barely above 500 the year before, and that's coming off a Rose Bowl appearance. So two just drastic years down, you've got to let the process play out. Let the recruiting classes come in. Yes, the transfer portal kind of expedites things, but you've got to let it play out. And I know the coaches and stuff, they'll say, yes, you know, you have to, you know, we have to win now as well. And no one's going to disagree that that want to win is there on a night in, night out basis. But you've got to relax. Uh, same thing also with 
the unfortunate injury to Aaron Rodgers. Um, I saw a lot of stuff on, on social media the last 24 hours that just isn't a good look for Wisconsin sports fans. Again, not the majority, not even a high amount, but there's enough where I feel like I have to say something here. You cannot like Aaron Rodgers all you want. I, I, whatever I do, and I know it's a very, <laughs> it's a talking point on the show. We joke about it a lot. Right. <clears throat> but the dude, at the very least, if you consider yourself a Packer fan, the dude was a starting quarterback for 15 years, gave 18 years of his life to this city, to this state, did numerous good things for the state of Wisconsin and the city of Green Bay. And to sit here and, like, root for his injury is just a terrible, terrible look. Right. You can hate the guy all you want, but that's not the way that you want it to go. No matter what. You You don't like to see a guy get injured like that. Especially a season-ending injury like like what happened, right? And especially, I mean, even as a Packer fan, if you if you want to just look at it from, you know, strictly Packers or bust, which I'm surprised as many people still do as a whole, just how much fantasy football's taken over, and and you know right. how much we get a look into these different athletes and whatnot too. I mean, there's it. Rivalries and stuff aren't the same as they used to be and whatever. And that's not a terrible thing. It's not, you know, I get that there's the old heads who want the players from each other's teams to hate each other and they hate everything about every other team. Right. But at the same time, like, that's also a Packers draft pick that is now a second-round pick instead of a first-round pick. You can want him to play bad all you want. You know, if you want him to set a league record for interceptions, that's fine as long as he hits 65% of those snaps. So even just rooting for the injury, again, just that's not it. Can we we also give a noogie to, like, the field conditions, too? Oh, absolutely. This needs to be talked about as well. I've seen a whole lot about this, too. Well, and for the NFL to come back today, even... And say that there is no statistical data that indicates that turf is more dangerous to play on. When the eye test tells you otherwise, it it doesn't take a rocket scientist to figure this out. Right. I mean, Sean, did you ever play on turf? No, I did not. We got to play on turf once a year, all four years of high school. And that was the preseason scrimmage at UW Oshkosh. And I'll be, you know, I'm always the first to admit, way lesser level of competition and scale and speed of the game, this, that, and the other thing. But you still, I mean, you can just look at how that played out and how these high school athletes, the ones that play on turf, I can speak from experience. It sucks. You are so much more sore that day or that day after because there is zero give you're playing on concrete and crushed up tires painted green Mm -hmm. and it's just it's so unforgiving like 
I was lucky enough to play just on the offensive line where, yeah, my feet and my knees were pretty active. I'm not getting tackled onto that, you know, 10, 15, 20 times a day or whatever. So I can only imagine how that felt, but it's, I'm just amazed that we continue to put this line in the sand and David Bakhtiari put it up very well last night that come world cup time in three years, all these stadiums that have turf that are going to be used for the World Cup are going to be switching to grass. So right. why do these team owners and the NFL and, you know, whatever, why do they care more about the World Cup than their own players? Exactly. It just it doesn't make sense. And, I mean, that injury to Aaron Rodgers last night, it, it could happen anywhere. You know, right. that's, that's how injuries happen, but... If you watch it happen, I mean, you can very much tell his leg is planted and then there is no give. There's nowhere for it to move with that turf and it puts him in a worse spot to take that hit. And that's, I mean, we we talk about, you know, the David Bakhtiari, Aries Sealtair in practice, which there's not much you can really do about that on New Year's Eve. I mean, that's, that's no. where you're practicing more often than not. Right. But... You can talk about the Odell Beckham Jr. injury in the Super Bowl a couple years back when he was playing for the Rams and tearing his ACL in that game. And um, Patrick Mahomes getting injured, I believe, also in the Super Bowl. It's just you can you can point to so many high-profile games and these teams losing high-profile players. And it shouldn't take high-profile players getting hurt. Like, it should just be any injury if we're really looking at it. But you have some of these biggest games of the year with some of the biggest players in those games. Right. Getting hurt on a such a regular basis. And it's a physical game enough. Like, why why not just reduce any risk as much as possible to keep these guys even just a tad bit safer? Right, and for what these players are, I mean, what they're putting their bodies through for these franchises, they should be able to get what they need for, instead, you could get rid of the turf, put in regular grass, and be done with it. Yeah, absolutely, and and I get that that turf is easier to manage because you don't got to really do anything with it. But if if a city like Green Bay, which is one of the colder atmospheres, if they can figure out how to go with the underground piping and the the heat lamps that they have in the winter, if they can figure it all out, there's no reason that L.A. and that New York City can't figure this all out. Right. It just doesn't make any sense. So, yeah, definite, definite nuggie there as well. The whole situation... And as, you know, Sean is walking by and, and mocking me for talking about Aaron Rodgers already in less than 10 minutes in the episode, but it did need to be talked about. So. Anyway, that leads us to our Wisconsin web story of the week, the WWW segment, and a little bit of follow-up this week uh, from one, and I don't know if you had any ready, Sean, but I'm going to go with one here. Uh just talking strictly about the, while we're on the topic of Aaron Rodgers, 
we know that Jack's Bar in Milwaukee was supposed to be the one that Jets or the Packer fans or anybody who walks in drink free when the Jets play and lose. And after that injury, three plays into the game last night, things were looking pretty good for the patrons of Jack's Bar in Milwaukee. Old Cougar Hunters Zach Wilson couldn't really do anything. Couple field goals. And then the fourth quarter happened. Mm-hmm. And overtime. And all these bar patrons who ran up these tabs all night, the Reaper came and they had to pay for all their drinks. So just a little bit of follow up from that. It was kind of going through the news cycles again today. I thought it was very funny. Did. So now, do they have to be there at the start of the game then, or? Like I whole... don't know. I I am. I'm assuming it's just for the time frame of the game. Oh, I gotcha. I didn't know if like all of a sudden everybody started showing up after he got hurt and the bar was loaded and it was. Yeah, that that I'm not sure on. Mm-hmm. Been a hell of a way to do it, right? That's the way I was thinking is a lot of people showed up then and ran up their tab and expected them to lose. And Now, I am curious with him being out the rest of the season if, if the ownership at Jack's Bar is going to continue that all season just to prove a point. I doubt it. Or, I mean, there there is enough former Packers there still as well that it right. could you could keep going and have it logically make sense. Obviously, none to the same level as the quarterback cute. QB8, but that's so weird to say. I'm still not used to that. Um, you, but you can, you can say it. You had an Aaron Rodgers boner when he ran out last, last night. I bet you did. I was so excited. Dude, I, I'll tell you this. While we're just real quick, another shout out here to Fanatics. I had my brand new Jets t shirt on yesterday, and I was so happy to be wearing it. And Shauna and I had to go. We had to run to, to Walmart and get a couple of things last night. And, I mean, we stayed pretty much to the front of the store. We didn't really have, you know, we didn't have to really venture around or anything like that. So I really didn't get to show it off too, too much. But the best moment of the day yesterday of wearing that shirt is as we're walking to the car, I walk in front of this minivan. There's an older guy sitting in the front seat probably waiting for his wife or whatever because the driver's seat's not full or whatever. So he's sitting in the passenger seat. And he looks at me, and I see him say, and Shauna sees it too, and I really didn't catch him. So Shauna sees him say, Jets? Fucking Jets. Like, he was so bewildered that he saw somebody wearing a Jets t-shirt and was not loving it. So I, I can wear that with a a badge of honor yesterday that it did turn a head was a conversation piece. And you know, once his wife or whoever he was at the store with daughter, friend, whatever son, whatever, whoever he was with, he told them immediately, some stupid son of a bitch is wearing a jets t-shirt at Walmart. This is green Bay. This is Packer. You know, I could just imagine how that conversation was going to go when whoever was supposed to be the van with them got back. Right. So, yes, I, I very much, I, I was very excited to see him come out. And how could you not have chills? It's 9-11, you know, 
a very somber day. You know, we we think about all the people who who lost their lives on that day and since then defending this country and and everything with that. And you know, you got the New York team playing, got the FDNY hats and the FD or NYPD hats everywhere. And there's the quarterback of 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 that city coming out with the 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 flag and. It was a very cool visual. I mean, I don't know how you could not be a little bit of excited about it. Yeah, it was what it was. <laughs> but all right. So with that, Sean, we can really dive into the world of sports. No trivia this week, obviously no draft with just the two of us. It's kind of the way that we've gone about this um, in these Skype episodes. So with that, Sean, we got a whole bunch of time to talk about a whole bunch of sports. So generally we start this off with Milwaukee Brewers, but before we do that, since no one's going to care about this anyway, and we have to replace our Northwoods League segment, I'm going to real quick go through the Rupert Wisconsin Fantasy Football League. Oh, jeez. For our loyal listeners who make up most of our listening audience every week, just a fun little recap of that league. Um, so first and foremost... Starting with the game that means the most to our two co-hosts tonight, myself and Sean, uh, we played each other this week. And that was Team Kamish Fish holding on to a 129.44 a to 126 win. Barely holding on. Uh, Sean made it interesting. Going, in, going after that 325 slate of games... Sunday afternoon, I was feeling pretty good. I had a 50-point lead. This is the one game I really didn't even have to check. And then Daniel Jones happened, and he threw the ball over the field and to everyone except his own receivers. Um, two touchdowns, two interceptions, a fumble recovery, zero points allowed, and a blocked field goal for the Dallas Cowboys defense. Gave Sean 35 points. Made it real interesting last night. Then we each had one player in Monday Night Football. I had Tyler Conklin, the tight end, for the New York Jets. Sean had Greg Zerline, kicker for the New York Jets. Uh, worth noting, I had to pick up Tyler Conklin on Thursday afternoon because Travis Kelsey was a no-go on Thursday Night Football. Tyler Conklin might as well not have played either. One catch, two yards, 1.2 points. Greg Zerline gets 11, three for three from the field goals. Extra point, push Sean gets the bonus point because he did make a 40-plus yard field goal, the 40 to 49 yards. So that's a four-point field goal there, two three-pointers, and, of course, the extra point. Really had me sweating that overtime. I know, Sean, you said you didn't stay up and watch the game, but I'm sitting there and looking at my different fantasy teams. I had another game that um, I needed a little help in as well last night. And that I got my Garrett Wilson touchdown, which made things close. I also had the Buffalo defense and Tyler Bass playing. So Tyler Bass kicks that last field goal to tie the game. Things are looking pretty good. So I'm sitting here thinking, what's the best case scenario for me to win this game in that league and win this one? And another game here we'll mention in a second but uh, I figured okay either I need the Bills to go down to win the toss and go down and score right away and then nobody kicks a field goal 
I could take a, a Bills field goal or the Jets get the ball, get stopped and a Bills field goal to win. Or I could take just a Jets touchdown right away. So basically all scenarios except a Bills win the toss, get a field goal, or get stopped, allowing the Jets an opportunity to win the game on a field goal. Yeah, which is exactly what the way things were looking last night until Jets get take Jets defense comes on the field, quick three and out over the Bills. Like, oh shit, exactly what I didn't want to happen is about to happen. <laughs> they punt the ball. Dude houses the punt return. I'm sitting there losing my mind. And then also Team Secretary Shauna. Shauna's losing her mind. Because her opponent has the Buffalo defense. And she had Tyler Bass on her team, who, and not for this point, it doesn't matter, but that points allowed for the defense gives Shauna a 106.04 to 105.3 win over Team Tornator. So Shauna gets the win. She's in the winner column. Looking around the league, we've also got the matchup of our other co-hosts, Ramsey and Justin. Things a little sketchy. We'll go through the NFL slate a little bit later, but things a little sketchy for Rams in the early slate of games. Joe Burrow, not a great showing for the Cincinnati Bengals. But Justin did not look at his lineup whatsoever. He had Alvin Kamara in his starting lineup from the auto draft. And Ramsey gets some big help throughout the day. Uh, most notably, Calvin Ridley and Stephon Diggs. And Ramsey, a 116.58 to 89.86 winner over Team Dahl. Looking around the league, also, Tyson Halla gets a 105.24, 103.16 win over the Lambochef. Jordan Fightfield gets a win, 112.02 to 99.92 over Dave Moeller. And in the last game in the Rupert Wisconsin League, a narrow win for team chubbed up Mark Fisher over Kittles and Bits, Jordan Fields. 103.04 to 98.16. So some really close games. Really the only game that wasn't that close was Justin Rams. Our shouldn't so, have, have been very close either, but... No, it should not have been. But it was, and we move on. So, you, were sweating, you were sweating all day about it. I was sweating about that game. Um, the one I was mentioning earlier, Sean, the, my other, our other league that we both play in, yep. I won that game thanks to Garrett Wilson and also in part to Tyler Bass, but also the Buffalo defense almost, almost lost me the game. I won that one, 117.72 to 117.38. That was a close one. That was. So, basically, that's your Root for Wisconsin Podcast League update in the fantasy football world, which then leads us to the world of baseball. Uh, real quick, usually, like I said, we usually start with Milwaukee Brewers, but in this case, we're going to actually start with Wisconsin Timberlanders, whose season came to an end on Sunday with an 8-5 win over Cedar Rapids. Uh, Tim Rutgers did take care of business. They were very close, neck and neck, 
with Peoria. Uh, Peoria ended up clinching, I believe, on actually on a tiebreaker for the second half, um, which I believe was the head-to-head. So they advanced into the second half of the playoffs. But, yes, it was ends up being a tie, 36-30 and 30 for the Chiefs and Tim Rattlers um, for your second-half standings as well. So credit to the Tim Rattlers and making a run, making it interesting. Overall, uh, 62 and 68 on the season. I mean, you, you can pull, obviously, with how minor league baseball works, it really only matters for one half in terms of playoff-wise, but a lot of positives on this team this year. You can point to a lot of development from some of the younger guys. Saw a lot of the top players in this organization, um, including... Jacob Mizoroski, including Eric Brown Jr., including Joe Gray Jr., a number, and again, a number of other faces. The Brewers' first-round draft pick, Brock Wilkin, who actually, after the Brewers' season, or Tim Rattler's season wrapped up, got the call-up to Double A Biloxi. So plenty of uh, things kind of point to with the Wisconsin Tim Rattlers uh, who wrap up their 2023 season. So, any parting thoughts on Wisconsin to Rattler, Sean? No, I got I got nothing. We'll see who we or who gets called up to the main main roster next year. I mean, hopefully, hopefully we got a couple guys. And for those paying attention in uh, who want to talk about just over in the Midwest League, um, in the division series for. That side of the league, Cedar Rapids and Peoria are playing a their in their playoff series. Also on the other side will be Great Lakes Loons versus Fort Wayne Tin Caps, um, who did end up clinching on the last day as well. So very exciting on on the flip side of the Midwest League. But as of right now, the Peoria Chiefs do have a two one lead over the Cedar Rapids Colonels um, in the bottom of the fourth in Game One of that series. So. That is currently the Midwest League playoffs picture. With that, the Milwaukee Brewers, Sean, are currently in action. Uh, We have a 1-1 tie in Milwaukee. Brewers playing host to a four-game set of the Miami Marlins after a pretty quick road trip out to Pittsburgh and New York over the weekend. So we'll have a four-game set here with Miami and a three-game set over the weekend with Washington. Uh, Brewers do still hold a three-game lead in the division over the Chicago Cubs. Uh, Magic number is down to 16. After some very timely losses by the Cubs over the weekend, uh, Friday and Saturday specifically, with Brewers picking up wins in New York. Uh couple just real quick notes here as we make this continued playoff push do got to talk about a quick nuggie to the brewers offense on sunday for <laughs> uh really just kind of putting carbon burns out to dry and it's purely coincidence you know it's not like they do it intentionally but right. you look at thursday an 8-2 win saturday 9-2 win then carbon burns devin williams and I'm trying to think of who pitched the 10th. I think Abner Uribe pitched the 10th. And you end up with a 10-inning no-hitter 
ends up getting a first. The Yankees get their first hit in the eleventh inning. And the game goes thirteen. Brewers lose four to three. It's just a rough one. Just a rough one. It would have had the Brewers because the Brewers did score in the eleventh inning for the first time. Had they been able to hold on to it, it would have been the first eleven run or eleven inning no hitter. I believe the broadcast has said only three. 10 inning note hitters have happened, so this would have been the fourth, if I'm not mistaken. So it yeah. could have been historic. Uh, ends up not being the case, and the Brewers did take a loss on Sunday, but no harm, no foul in the grand scheme of things, you hope. Uh, Brewers offense picked up exactly where it left off Friday and Saturday, though, last night with a 12-0 win over the Miami Marlins in game one of this four-game set. So... You just kind of wonder, you know, what what happened? Right. And uh, Sal Freilich's awesome catch in, in right, what was it, right field on? Yes, right field. Oh, that was in Sunday to preserve the no-hitter at the time. Yeah, that was just amazing. What Kind of crazy what he can do. Clips Joey Weimer with the elbow as well. Joey Weimer's got a busted lip. Scoreboard's blacked out because the shorts out with the contact and both of them hitting the wall and each other was just yeah. kind of a, a a mess out there. You really kind of that's where you one of those where you point to and I've always said every no hitter has like that one huge defensive play right. that keeps it going, and that would have been the one had they only played ten innings. Yeah, <laughs> but yeah. All's well that ends well, I suppose, um, and kind of move on. But Brewers in action, like I said, right now, one-to-one. Uh, Freddie Peralta on the bump so far. Gave up a leadoff home run, but since then really has dialed in, um, if I'm not mistaken. So he just got out of the fourth inning. Uh, that leadoff home run, one of two hits for Miami. So has really dialed in since Brewers only have one hit. That was a South Fralick single, it looks like. Um, Brewers have drawn a four walks so far as they get to their turn to bat here in the bottom of the fourth. Uh, really kind of looking through the lineup, and the other kind of noteworthy piece to mention is Josh Donaldson getting the call up. Uh, very split opinions among Brewers fans, Sean and myself included. Um, yesterday in his first game with the Brewers, does go... I believe he went one for four with the RBI single. Drew two walks in the game as well. Did strike out once. So not a bad debut from the bringer of rain, the former 2015 AL MVP. When 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 you sent me this, I thought it was the main roster of WWE. <laughs> and for some reason, I thought bringer of rain was Rainmaker. So I thought Okada was coming to the main roster. <laughs> that's what popped into my head I didn't realize that Donaldson was the bringer of rain it's a very he's very known by like that's even on his official MLB um, page like his, his nickname yep. is bringer of rain which whatever it is what it is but it's just dumb uh, so the former MVP does get the call up to the main roster Owen Miller does get Option back down to AAA. Uh, JC Mejia goes to from the 10-day DL or IL 
the 60-day IL, which he was up for the season anyway, so they cleared up the 40-man spot there. Um, you know, you you and I have the same, or you have the same concerns as a lot of Brewers fans. Just kind of working, you know, worried about what, you know, kind of known as not a great clubhouse guy and some of his other stops before. Is he kind of washed up? Being the main concerns. I I just think it's a clubhouse because we had such an issue with the clubhouse issue with the hater trade. I just feel like it's just going to be a, an issue. It's it wasn't needed, in my opinion. So I I'm, I want to ask you, what does it take to make this a success, or what does it take to make this a failure in your book? Um, a success, of course, is he's going to come in and be the AL MVP, but I feel like he hasn't done hardly anything the last, what is it, eight years now? Since that 2015, yeah, it would have been, it would have been eight years. Right. I feel like all he's done is just move from team to team, and there's got to be a reason why no team wants to just stick with him. So it's 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 not a success unless he hits that same 2015 level, right? Or he's this all of a sudden the spark that lights a fire under everybody else. And well, I don't want to I don't want to rain on your parade here, Sean. But as we speak, Josh Donaldson, 426 foot home run to left field, gives the Brewers a two one lead in the bottom of the fourth. I would love to be proved wrong. Um, yeah, I would too. And I, I will say, I guess I'm a little bit more optimistic on it. For me, the way I look at it is he's not, doesn't have to be an everyday starter, um, for this to, to be a win. If he platoons without Andrew Monasterio, who also plays second base. And if, you know, if you use him as a defensive replacement, um, late in games on the games that you do start Donaldson, I think the bat that he can bring in a short stint can prove to be a high success and be very impactful as you try to bolster towards a playoff spot. Uh, Monasterio has kind of come back down to earth a little bit. I mean, he's still hitting about 270, but he was hitting about 290 a few weeks back. Um, so it's it's just one of those things where you, obviously, you're not sending Monasterio down, but if, if he's a little bit more pop, because Monasterio is going to bring the average, he's not going to bring the power. But if he's just a little bit more pop than, say, Bryce Terang and and Monasterio, and if you can possibly use him in a DH spot that Jesse Winker has been not great in all year long, and for that matter, Robbie Telez has struggled as well. If you can get that little bit of pop as a right-handed bat against left-handed pitching. As long as I think it's a success, as long as you don't totally bottom out and end up missing the playoffs or get right. bounced really early, right? So but I, 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 I don't know. I just, I just felt like it was wasn't a need at the time, but would love to be proved wrong that it that he was what we needed. Yeah, I mean, by no means is I mean. I guess I shouldn't say it by any means, but 
the overwhelming odds are he's not going to win you the World Series or whatever. But if he can, like I said, get a couple of good at-bats and have a little bit of pop here, I mean, I think he only played 15 games with the Yankees this season because of injury, um, which he did struggle. But I think he had, you know, a handful of hits, but three of the four hits or whatever he ended up having were home runs. Um, if he can get you, you know, between now and the end of the season, which is October 1st, if he can get you five, six home runs and Tim Dillard's doing some weird stuff, which is always funny. But if he can get you, you know, a handful of home runs and, you know, maybe a double or two here and there, it's not the worst thing in the world. No, I guess not. So. So I'll I'll take it. I mean, I'm curious. And I think I will give credit to the Brewers organization and Craig Council and actually the team as a whole, because I I personally feel like if things are going that far south where if he is a problem and unless the bat is just red hot 2015 level, Brewers aren't going to just sit there and take that. You know, they're going to move on from him sooner rather than later. Right. I I would hope so, yes. I mean, they have guys, you know, you have Owen Miller in the wings, who's a very steady player. He's not great, but he's going to hit for, like, the league average. You have a Tyler Black who could bring some of that more rookie magic to Milwaukee, like it's been all year, one of your top prospects. You have options if it doesn't work out. So you don't have to have that long of a leash if things are going bad. Right. Which is good. So I'm optimistic. That was one of the longest, biggest home runs I've seen at AmFam. And obviously I'm not at the game, but holy cow, was that a towering home run to deep left. So if if that continues, by all means, I'm going to love this. So, and he does, I will say that I think maybe the the funnest part about this is because he's not playing in the Yankees anymore. The Beard's making a little bit of a comeback. (laughs) (laughs) That cannot be overstated. Maybe that's the reason he struggled. It's happened before. Look at Johnny Damon and his stint with the Yankees. Brian McCann. I think we're past this, you know, this old Yankee tradition of guys have to be clean shaven, no long hair. So where the power comes from. Great. Unless you're Aaron Judge. Well, I'm not sure he's capable of it. But I look at just while we're talking about baseball beards and stuff, and I know, you know, you look at playoff beards, you think of like Justin Turner, and you think of like the 2013 Red Sox were a huge proponent of, the playoff beard and the World Series beards and all that, but um, I have to say this because I haven't said it to this point. So a couple weeks back, uh, Shauna, me, her family went to the the Brewers. Um, who did they play? Brewers Padres game, and old friend, former Brewer Ben Gamel played for Padres this year. Um, if you remember Ben Gamel when he was playing for the Brewers, 
had the long red hair, kind of almost like a Josh Donaldson knockoff, had the big bushy beard, not Josh Donaldson, um, Justin sure. Turner knockoff, where he had the long red hair, the long red beard, uh, kind of looked a Captain Caveman, was very well known for the energy and the speed. He once, or not once, but he multiple times would shotgun a Red Bull off his cleat before taking the field. And uh, I don't know if it's a Padres thing or if it's just something he did. I don't know if it's maybe the wife at home doesn't want it or whatever. But we saw clean-shaven, short hair uh, Ben Gamel. Not a good look. He looks like human Shrek. And Shrek 2. That's Shauna pointed that out, and I, I could not unsee it. And it has to be the truest thing. Uh, the the best analysis and best like side by side of what he looks like now. So if you if you if you remember the beard and the long hair, and you know you're a big Ben Campbell fan, right? Um, Don't look at him now. Well, you won't recognize him. You could walk past him in the grocery store. You'd be like, "Hey, that's that's a that's just a dude." You're not thinking Ben Gamble. Gotcha. So, just quick, quick worth note. Um, also, I I do have to say real quick while we're talking about this and throughout the season, the Brewers uh, scoreboard graphic team has been kind of well known for kind of trolling players and. Uh, Brewers making mention of his brother being a key piece of the CC Sabathia trade, which the CC Sabathia had been there uh, the day before. But be, his trivia fact was key piece in trade to get uh, CC Sabathia, which I don't think actually was correct because it was Matt Laporta. Right. But was Ben Gam or Matt Gamble? Part of that too, I guess. I don't even. He was not. That. I'm looking it up right now just to confirm. Oh. Um, he was not. He played on the same team. He played in the 2008 postseason or September right. call-ups. Um, he in the 2008 season, he recorded his first career hit off Chris Young of the Padres on September 7, 2008, which was a double. So he was not part of that trade, but he did play that season. Um, so a little bit of an error by the Brewers uh, scoreboard team, but we'll let it slip because they're still pretty funny. Right. All right, Sean. Uh, from the Brewers, we continue west in our trip around the state of Wisconsin. Um, is it just a little bit south or just a little bit north? I, I always get, I'm really bad with the geography down there. Uh, actually, it's pretty dead nuts on. Oh, we go to see Madison, um, where the Badgers did lose their first game of the season to Washington State, unable to avenge last year's loss. Um, this is a game that you and I had talked about last week with having some high expectations and you know, we kind of set the stage a little earlier in the show. We talked about the referees being tough to watch and brutal, but also worth noting that's not why they lost either. Badgers got themselves in a pretty deep hole um, in the first half by playing very soft defense. 
against uh, a very dynamic offense. Yeah, that's yeah. It was we were sitting at the bar watching the game, and it was just it was just rough to watch the whole game. I'm not I'm not gonna put everything on the refs that that's why they lost, but I think they just had. Badgers had to just come out and have some heart a little bit more. Oh, like abs- that, that's what was missing from the whole game. Absolutely. I'll, I'll, you know, first and foremost, you know, it ends up being a 31-22 loss. Um, and we'll talk about some of the controversy here in a little bit. But uh, Badgers, got, like I said, they got in a deep hole. It was 24-9 at halftime. Um, throughout the first half, Washington State just would go down the field. At will, Badgers were playing. They were only rushing three or four. They weren't bringing pressure. They weren't making Cam Ward feel uncomfortable, which is exactly what we said they need to do. Um, So, you know, they they got off to not a great start. Cam Ward, for what it's worth, rather pedestrian. um, 20 for 32 passing, 212 yards, uh, 17 carries for 43 yards. That's not terrifying. You know, if if you tell me he th- only throws 200 yards and only rushes for 43, I'll take that every time. But he pretty um, much did that all in the first half, I thought. Exactly, and that's, that's, most that's the big concern. Uh, the Cougars did have 322 yards of total offense. No turnovers. The Badgers, 368 total yards, three turnovers. Um, time of possession was actually ended up being pretty much equal. But going into the game, that five-point favorite on the road it like i said that first half they started off slow and i don't know if it was just the scheme i think that was a lot of it personally i just i don't i think that they guessed that they would want cam ward to throw because he's not known for being a you know very accurate quarterback and they thought maybe they could get home with four that that you know maybe they could out muscle the pack 12 offensive lineman and they just didn't he had all day to throw sat back in the pocket and tore the secondary up who had eight deep you know so wasn't wasn't great they moved fast they played with a lot of pace as well and that can't be understated either um i think that threw them off a little bit too i think they kind of expected them to try to maybe slow it down and because the badgers are a quicker team now and I, I still would say, even after watching that game, as it went along, I do think the Badgers were the more talented team. Yeah, I totally they were agree. Clicking. But I just think they got too far behind and couldn't couldn't make it up. Right, and they almost did because let's talk about the 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 controversy here. So. Let's start off with Badgers at 20 or with, where was it here? Um, at 25 seconds left in the third quarter, making a 22-24 game after a Tanner Mordecai touchdown pass to Skylar Bell. Um, which, by the way, let's talk about that real quick. Very critical of Tanner Mordecai last week. Uh, did not look the part week one. I did give him benefit of the doubt. Maybe there was just some jitters. Maybe it was just, you know, 
a number of things, a lot of high sky high expectations for this team and this offense, expected them to come out and win by like fifty. Some stuff that's just truly not fair. It's not human. Right. Um I think Tanner Mordecai looked the part against Washington State. Especially that game, as that game, game went on. Um uh, I would say throughout especially because Washington State did such a good job stuffing the run that they kind of had to open it up a little bit. Um, and specifically this touchdown pass that he hits off his back foot that when you're first watching, it looks like a throwaway. And that's a Sunday throw. That's one of those throws that by no means is Tanner Mordecai probably going to be a starting quarterback next year in the NFL. That's, that's the reality of the situation. Barring some meteoric rise in the next 10 games plus possible bowl game. Barring some meteoric rise and probably an injury or two in NFL camp next year. He's not going to be an NFL starter next year. He'll be lucky if he makes an NFL roster. Maybe a preseason spot, but I'll, I'll give him this. That was a throw that guys hope to make on Sundays. Right. I'll give you that. So anyway, paint the picture. Badger score, try to go for two to tie the game, come up short, 22-24 game. Badgers kick off, and actually, I don't even know if it was the ensuing possession, but um, that paints a picture. So, regardless, uh, Washington State pinned deep. Had to have been later in the game because it ends up being on this possession here. Um, pinned deep in their own territory. And on a second down play, I believe, Badgers get home with a sack. And the quarterback sacked in the end zone, uh, which looks like an apparent safety. Now, admittedly, unbiased, there is some wiggle room here with how the rule itself breaks down and what the actual intention of the rule is. So... The the rule itself of how football, and really at every level, but specifically at the college game for this conversation works, is so you don't get just dragged backwards by a defender and the, you know forward progress, yada, yada, yada. It's where the defender first contacts you is technically where you're down. Now, with momentum and how I think Cam Ward was playing that, where he was still, I think, relatively escaping from that quote-unquote first contact, is how, that's very interpretive. Mm -hmm. The eye test would say, hey, that's a safety. Because it was like at the half-yard line at best, where that first contact happens. And he ends up probably about three or four yards deep in the end zone where he gets sacked. So the eye test to me indicates that's a safety. I don't know what it was to you. I I personally did not think it was. I thought he was out of or he was at either the half yard line or the one yard line when all of it started happening. I did not think it was a safety. Everybody I was with thought it was a safety, but I did not. Okay. That's that's but what I interpreted it as being. And that's that's a decent... I mean, that doesn't end up being the end-all, be-all here. No. Um, 
it starts the chain of events, though. Right. That really make this worth mentioning. And this is why you have to mention it, because it does kind of kick this off. And 100%, it very well could have been called a safety, and everybody could have went with that, too. I mean, right. It's, if, if it's called it was, a safety, there's not much complaining, probably. I mean, maybe a little bit from Washington State, but you're not getting a whole lot of. Again, the eye test, it's, it's a very, it's a coin flip toss. Exactly. Um, so they end up not ruling it a safety. Badgers get the stop, uh, get the punt, have great field position. Um, could have been better because on the punt, refs throw a flag on a late hit slash unsportsmanlike conduct um, on a block downfield. On, I believe it was on the punter or to the punter, but um, again, one of those where you can see it, you, if it's called, you're you're kind of okay with it, but I don't think it was egregious. I think it was within the realm of the play, you know, where the defender was and the whistle had not blown yet, at least not as quickly as it should have. I mean, um, I believe Chamiri DK was the kick returner, punt returner, he gets the punt, ends up having a pretty decent run back. It's to about the 35-yard line, and that backs him up, or actually just inside the 35, so probably about like the 32-33, ends up backing them up to about the 46-45. Um, which, again, kind of a question mark call. If you call it, you know, the critics are going to say it's soft, It's it's not there, but you can definitely justify it. Right, but they still got to be more disciplined and not put themselves in that kind of... Absolutely, absolutely. Definitely, that is, that is definitely worth mentioning here as well, um, that that is a discipline. Like, that's just something you, you can't put yourself in that position. But, you know, the old heads would argue that it wasn't even a flag in the first place, but again, that's a different conversation. Right. So, two out of the three plays here in a row. Um, Badgers finally kind of get the run game going on this drive. And Chez Malusi ends up fumbling, allegedly. And this is where the real conversation and, and where the noogie from earlier in the show and where the ire of Badger fans and the whole situation comes in is the fumble didn't even really look like it happened until well after the play should have been over. Mm -hmm. And really where on first watch of it, like when you're watching it in real time, because you can slow it down and, you know, there is a window when the ball is out or whatever. And when it's in slow-mo, you know, it is what it is. But when you're in real time, it it looks like one of those situations where he goes down, sets the ball down, and the defender picks it up and says, oh, it's our ball. Right. And the referees kind of standing there looking at each other, not knowing what to call until one of them decides to make the decision that, hey, we're going to call a fumble recovered mm-hmm. by Washington State, which... I don't even know if you can judge that a clear fumble or clear recovery because you didn't have the initial scramble. You didn't have the beanbag come flying in. You didn't have any of that. So 
that in and of itself, again, kind of tells me that the eye test indicates that's not a fumble. When you have to conference about it and not have all the things that go into a fumble be discussed like that. Now, with college football, as with the NFL, it's automatically reviewed. So we have a chance to get this right. And nothing on film of the you know the two angles they really have on it, the front angle where you don't even see the ball come out, mm-hmm. and the back angle where it very much looks like his knee is on the ground when you finally see the ball pop out. You have two angles on it, neither one of which indicates fumble, but again, there's not a super clear as to when the ball itself is out. And you do see it pop out at, you know, at some point. The NCAA and the Pac-12 end up confirming the call or having it stand. And it can't remember. And it ends up not, you know, really mattering. But um, kind of semantics are if it con- it's confirmed, it says yes, we did confirm. If it stands, it's mainly one of those we can't overturn it based on what's here. Right. Um, neither what one of which I thought should have been the case. I really, full disclosure, I think that was a terrible way to rule the whole situation culminated with the fact that you had a chance to review this. Nothing about the review indicates fumble to me. So even if you can't 100% prove his knees on the ground with the ball in hand, which I think you could have for what it's worth. And I have made a lot of progress in my life where I don't blame referees for games and stuff anymore. I know it's a human element and all that, but the same time like that's what you're getting paid in this game for mm-hmm. you're making pretty damn good money on a national televised game to make the right decision after you have a chance to look at it again slow everything down and it ends up not happening and again you know you said it yourself i'll say it myself that is not why the badgers lost but it sure as shit doesn't help either right you're exactly right on that and then Washington State goes down the field and ends up scoring a touchdown to put the game away with the final score 31-22. So really, you can look at that as a 10-14 to 14 point swing. Momentum was all Wisconsin. Mm-hmm. Even if they don't score that drive, the momentum's pointing to the way of, well, first of all, they probably kick a field goal. The Badgers' field goal kicking has been pretty solid these first two right. games. So even at that, that's a you know one-point game with Badgers' lead. You know, maybe they don't cover, but things are trending in the right direction where the momentum was there, where that totally shifts the momentum, that totally shifts everything about the game to that point. And it just, I don't think you can ignore that at all about the impact that play really had. Right. And then for Washington State to score in that same drive, essentially putting the game away. All the air got out of the defense at that point, and right? For the whole the whole Badger team, and it was just it was downhill from that, right? And and you had some bad penalties on the Badgers throughout the game, uh, you know. First to admit that, and I will say I don't think it was a very well officiated game from a, a balance standpoint. I think they missed a lot of defensive pass interference throughout the game on both sides, primarily on Washington State, though. I think they missed a lot of holding calls at the line, primarily on Washington State as well, um, especially at that second half and that 
really the fourth quarter as well, and that last drive for Washington State to score, I think a lot got missed. Um, I can even argue that on the safe, the play that or that drive where the safety could have slash should have occurred, you know, depending on who you're asking, that they missed a hole in the end zone that should have been a safety. Mm-hmm. So, is it the end of the world? No, it's one loss. Um, right. Washington State ends up going in the top 25. Badgers fall to the top 25. Plenty of time to make your way back. You know, we weren't necessarily expecting a foot, you know, college football playoff appearance this year anyway. Um, and, and really, the Luke Fickle system takes a year. That's the way it was at Cincinnati. It took a year to get the culture, get, you know, the athletes. Because I'll be honest with you, Sean, I think my biggest... Not gripe, but my biggest concern of this new look Wisconsin offense right now is I'm not sure, and maybe we'll see it better when we're there on Saturday, but I'm not sure Wisconsin has a receiving core right now to run the air raid. Yeah, I'll agree I, with you. I think there's guys that, you know, I think CJ Williams, the transfer from um, USC, is exciting and can get open. I think Skylar Bell's pretty good. I think Jameer DK is pretty good. But I don't know if they're consistently winning matchups play in, play out to really spread the field and make the air raid what it is. You don't you don't have a guy on the roster that's gonna be a first or second round pick where you know they're gonna win their matchup every time they're on the field. Right. And and that's that's kind of what it takes to make this offense work at its best as you need a guy who's going to win. And maybe, maybe it's just a case of where maybe it's not happening quick enough, or maybe it's just a case of, you know, we saw some slower snaps from the center Tanner Bordellini, um, which in case leads to, you know, we saw it throughout the first half of that Badger game where the offense wasn't just in sync yet, where, Mordecai is having to scramble already. He's not going to have time to go through the reads. So maybe it's the offensive line kind of getting it together and needing to, to mesh a little bit better to allow the play to develop. Um, I will say, just kind of looking through the numbers, Tanner Mordecai, I think he looked better this week, as I said earlier, 25-40, uh, 278 yards and touchdown. Uh, Ches Malusi, 12 for 49 and a touchdown. The offense, the uh, the card to the defensive line, really, of Washington State, they come out and absolutely stood with Badgers offense and gave them a run for their money to where the Badgers couldn't run. They played very downhill, very fast, in just about every facet of their defense. Dared Mordecai to beat them, and he almost did. But, like you said, Sean, the Badgers ran out of time, and is what it is. Right. So that's enough of a wrap-up on the Washington State matchup. We look ahead to this weekend's contest against Georgia Southern, which you and I will be attending. Very excited for you to get your first Badger game. Yep, I'm excited too. Uh, Shout-out to my former college roommate, John, who had the tickets and could not make the game. Uh, thanks for the tickets, John. And looking at this game, uh, Badgers are a 19-point favorite, over-under 64.5. To this point in the season, the Georgia Southern... I don't even know what the hell these guys are. 
looks like the Eagles uh, are 2-0 and on the season. They have a 34-0 win over the Citadel and a 49-35 win over UAB. Uh, so offensively speaking, they are putting up a lot of yards, 308.5 in the air, 159 on the ground. They are allowing a lot of yards as well, though. Uh, they've allowed 344.5 yards, 195.5 passing, 145 on the ground. So uh, a lot of yards given up. Uh, they're led by Davis Brin, a 6'2 senior quarterback. Uh, this far in the season, in those two games, he has four touchdowns, two interceptions, on 562 yards throwing. Um, first game against the Citadel, he went 27-36 or 244. Week 2 against UAB, 38-47, 318 yards, um, with a long of 25 yards. Also for what I'm, like I said, guessing is the Eagles. Uh, they do have Jalen White at running back, 6-foot senior. 30 carries, 165 yards, 2 touchdowns on the season already as well. So, looks like as of thus far, Georgia Southern can run some offense. Uh, obviously, I'm going to just go on record saying I don't think the Citadel or UAB has the defense the Badgers do. Um, going to go on a bold record saying that as the Citadel, after the week one 34-0 loss over Georgia Southern, also came out and lost Campbell, who... I don't know who that is. Looks like a Greyhound, maybe. <laughs> um, they won fifty-six to seven. So, I am I am questioning the Citadel defense. Uh, the UAB as well. They won their first game thirty-five to six over NCINT. Uh, so. A little bit more competent offense, but I'm taking a look here. Not a great defensive showing against, again, what I'm presuming is the Eagles. So it is the Eagles. I, I did not look far enough. Lot, isn't it? <laughs> what did you? Where did you go? I said I did not look far enough up on my my ESPN app. It is indeed the Georgia Southern Eagles. Uh, okay. I'm still curious what the hell Campbell is, but. I'm not going to go that far down the rabbit hole here. No. 19 is a lot, though, isn't it? 19 is indeed a lot. Um, this Georgia Southern team is a... I mean, the points doesn't ever look to be the issue. The common opponent they have right now in their last five, and it's not really a true common opponent, but they did play Buffalo in their end-of-season game last year. It looks like a bowl game, uh, which they lost... 23-21 to Buffalo last year in the Camellia Bowl. Okay. Uh, that came down to looks like they had a different quarterback at the time and a different running back. So change of pace for the Eagles. I'm guess I think this is the same quarterback though for Buffalo. Maybe not. Uh, yeah, Cole Snyder. He was the quarterback for uh, Buffalo this year, so yes, I can confirm that here. I, I just gotta really look before I, I say something, but 
Um, that might help. Buffalo did get that 23-21 win. The Eagles did put up 444 yards of offense in that game. Um, a lot of it looks like in that game, it was a lot of passing. So this is a pass-first team, it looks like. You know, I'm not I'm not a scout, but when the quarterback goes 28 of 45 for 352 yards, gonna assume that's kind of the mantra that they run. Uh, this was a six and seven team last year. Obviously, they're two and zero this year, so it doesn't really matter. But that is the common opponent they do share with the Badgers. Um, a lot of points expected to be scored this week. Like I said, 64 and a half is that combined over under. Which, I mean, you're kind of thinking maybe the Badgers get. You know, a little bit better 40, showing defensively. 45-21. Something to that effect. Something like that. And that would cover, because that would be right. more than 19. So that's kind of what you're looking at right now, based on what the experts think. Um, the matchup predictor, according to ESPN and analytics, gives the Badgers an 83.3% chance to win the game. So... We will see. We will have more to talk about next week on the Badgers. Uh, just looking around the rest of the Big Ten. Uh, Maryland playing Friday night against Virginia. Uh, the 2-0 Terps taking on the 0-2 Cavaliers. They are 14.5-point favorite there. Penn State plays a conference game this week against Illinois. Penn State's a 14.5-point favorite there. Indiana plays Louisville. Uh, Louisville, a 10-point favorite. North Carolina playing host to Minnesota. The Tar Heels, a seven and a half point favorite as well. Not a great slate here for uh, the non Big Ten teams on Saturday. Um, Northwestern traveling to North Carolina as well to play Duke just down the road from UNC. And Duke is an 18 and a half point favorite. They're the 21st ranked team in the country. Iowa plays host Western Michigan. That's a 20 and an eight and a half point favorite for the Hawkeyes. Uh, Rutgers playing Virginia Tech, seven point favorite for the the Scarlet Knights. Ohio State playing host to Western Kentucky. They're really great matchup. Um, 28 point favorite for the Buckeyes. Future Big Ten team in Washington playing, traveling here to Michigan State. To play in East Lansing, 16-point favorite for Washington for the Huskies. Northern Illinois playing Nebraska. Nebraska's an 11.5-point favorite there. Uh, Michigan playing host to the Bowling Green Falcons. They are a 40-and-a-half-point favorite. And Purdue hosts Syracuse. That's who the Badgers will play the following week. And Syracuse expected or currently favored to come into uh, West Lafayette with a two and a half point favorite. They play Purdue or Syracuse? Purdue. Purdue hosts Syracuse. Yes, but Badgers play Purdue next week? They play, yes, they play Purdue yep. next week. It's their okay. Big Ten play. Um, just one other, couple other games to kind of go through here. Future Big Ten team Oregon plays host to Hawaii on Saturday. They are a 30 half, 38 and a half point favorite. Um, UCLA will play host to NC Central. They do not have a line at this point. And then missing one, aren't I? USC. 
believe USC is off this week. After playing the Week Zero game, uh, the Georgia Bulldogs, number one team, still in the country. They play host to South Carolina. They're a twenty-seven and a half point favorite at home. Which leads us, Sean, to our NFL segment here. Uh, first and foremost, got to talk about the Green Bay Packers, as we do always in this segment. 38-20 win over the Chicago Bears. Very thorough showing from all three facets of the game. Offense, defense, special teams, very impressed. Where do you want to start in this, Sean? Let's let's start with special teams. Let's All let's right. start with Anders Anders Carlson. We'll start with him on special teams. Great place to start. Thought he thought he looked pretty good. He did. He, he looked, was perfect. Just one kick, right? One field goal and two five extra points. Yes, five extra points. Uh, Anders Carlson, one of one for field goals, five of five extra points, eight total points scored. Uh, the one field goal was a 52-yard kick, which credit to Danny Whelan for getting the ball down on a high snap. Uh, Matt Lafleur joked around with reporters after the game, kind of talking about you know going to the rookie in that spot after kind of the mismanagement of the clock, um, the high snap, and he joked with reporters saying, "It's exactly how we drew it up for the young guy to build his confidence up." All the things that could go wrong did, and he still nailed the kick. So, uh, dead center, dead center, dead center. Probably had another eight, nine yards with it too. Playing in the windy city, so lots to be excited about for him. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of confidence with that five of five extra points as well. Not one yeah. of them really looked off. Obviously, still a work in progress. That you know, odds are he's probably going to miss one or two this regular season. I'm not going to say hey. he won't. But I will say to this point, the dude's been a gamer. The guy mm-hmm. looks great in games, preseason and now the regular season. Practice not so much, but game games is good. Yeah. Um, also, special team Sean, kind of worth mentioning. Keyshawn Nixon did have two returns for 55 yards with a long of 28, so picking up pretty much where he left off. Uh, worth mentioning, though, I think the biggest part of the special teams, which really wasn't a thing last year, that being Jaden Reed, the rookie, on punt return duty, 3 for 54, including a long of 35. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, as we kind of go through our conversation of the Packers and what led to success for this team, having shorter fields for Jordan Love and this offense to work is always going to be a benefit and cannot go overstated where, you know, you look at the opening drive even, thanks to the fourth down attempt where the Bears tried the third, the the tight end sneak and the quarterback sneak. um, Gave the Packers the ball at the 40-yard line. I mean, short fields, no one's ever going to complain, but if you can get your special teams to kind of help you out with your defense as well, and defense pins him back far enough to put yourself in a position to get that shorter field as well with a, you know, even if you get like a 40, 50 yard kick, you get, um, you know, even an 18 yard return is what he averaged. You're flipping the field already. Right. Uh, also worth mentioning, uh, Daniel Whelan, 
Five punts, 249 yards, including a long of 68 yards. Yeah, he, he did a very good job at flipping the field, too. Bombing balls. Um, the only complaint, which isn't even really a complaint, is we haven't seen the touch, per se, of maybe trying to, you know, maybe a little bit of coffin corner, maybe a little bit of spin to, you know, maybe get that as a spotting inside the 10 and having come to a stop as opposed to just bombing it to the end zone. But I'll take a 68-yard punt if it gets them to the 20 and ends up being a net of 48. Fine. Right. Right. Not complain take about that. And I, I, I think a couple of those where there were guys down there, but just they weren't in the right spots. Yeah, kind of one of those situations where you see it happen, you know, a couple times every game or every week even, where guys focus on where the returner is. They're not really looking up for the ball. They're kind of trying to corner the guy and mm-hmm. ends up being, you know, five, ten yards behind you and bounces in the end zone. Um, I've never had to play gunner, so I don't know the responsibility of that position. <laughs> Not even gonna touch that one. No, you can go ahead. No, no, I'm not. I'm not. I'm gonna be nice. I uh, I didn't even put punt coverage. I was even like I was a backup long snapper. I was good enough to long snap, but I played defense. So my coaches wanted me on the just to to wait the extra play, give me the extra play of relaxing, you know. Mm-hmm. So I'm I'm gonna say it for you. Was not playing gunner, even on Madden. <laughs> Oh, yeah. The only time I ever play Gunner is when I play Madden, and it's after I punt the ball, and it's telling me where to go. Right. And I have to hit circle to get to it. Right. So, yeah, a special teams, I mean, that's really all you can ask for. I mean, that's that's exactly what you ask for. And, yes, it's one week. Yes, it's against the Bears, but if those – Trends continue, which we have every reason to think they would with Passaccia. Very exciting to what can lead to an easier path for the other facets of the game. Right. Also got to talk. Let's let's just rip right into this right away too. Jordan Love, 15 and 27, 245 yards, three touchdowns and no receptions. Uh, did take the one sack right before halftime, but... I think he looked the part. Again, one game against a very bad team in the Chicago Bears. But it's a start. You can't help who you play week one. You can only go out and execute. Uh, the guy was perfect on third and fourth downs, which everyone, you know, you called the money downs. He went out and executed. Um you know, we talked about this a couple of weeks back, Sean, after the Patriots preseason game, where the big thing with him is that decision-making. And we saw it early on. We saw it throughout the game. We saw it in the first drive alone, where on the touchdown pass to Romeo Dobbs, again, being patient, staying in the pocket, waiting for Romeo Dobbs to make his break, manipulate the linebacker just enough to open that route up. We saw it on another play. I believe it was a, either it was a longer third down, finding Jaden Reed, manipulating the linebacker, kind of looking him off just enough to have him hit shade one way, and then finding Reed behind him. Mm-hmm. 
So th- that's just the kind of instant analysis that I got kind of the takeaway from that. I I I thought he he did everything he needed to do. He didn't he wasn't absolutely spectacular. He wasn't terrible. He was somewhere in the middle and that's what we needed to be. Didn't turn the ball over and was good on third and fourth down. That's yeah, absolutely. Need. That's all uh, we need. I, I'll even add to that to his credit. I mean, again, we talk about the decision making. I thought the decision making as a whole was really good. He didn't have only oh shit moments. He had a couple passes that he missed, which you know either was a tad behind or um, you know maybe a little bit of an overthrow. But that's that's the nature of throwing a ball. Mm-hmm. You're not going to put it. 100% where it should be 100% of the time. You don't even, you can't even do that in Madden now. Right. You know, that's just, that, that is what it is. Um, human nature. Right. I, th- I thought his best play of the game was when, was with the fumbled snap on that third down to yes. Luke Musgrave. I thought that really showed, the, I, I don't know if I want to say confidence, but the poise. Probably, what I'm going to say, yeah, the poise. There you go. That's the word I was looking for. That he had to just not get rattled by that. Still keep his eyes downfield because he knew what he was going to get. And could have been a better ball. but Well, it helps if Luke Musgrave stays on his feet. He is apparently well known for stumbling. Um, you know, the guys, he is 6'6". Six, six. He is... I want to get his official numbers here so I don't mess him up and don't credit him enough. The dude's 6'6", 253 pounds. He's still a young buck in a lot of ways, mm-hmm. but he's got a little bit of awkward feet once he can kind of get that footing to NFL speed. And honestly, I think just trying to play a little too fast at times. Yeah, I, um, that's it 100%. I, he, had, I, he, had, he had a couple miscues. Yes, I, I will point just real quick here on, on Luke Musgrave. I will... First of all, huge fan of his already. I, I still think that's probably the best pick of the draft, um, at least offensively for sure. Jaden Reed's going to make a hell of an impact, but I think Luke Musgrave might end up being one of the best picks in recent memory. Um, we talked right before halftime where he kind of cuts a route short. Not cuts it off short, but he flattens out. He You know, if he... He's running a corner route, and if he continues the corner route diagonally, for lack of a better term, and kind of goes towards the pylon, mm-hmm. that's a touchdown. And that's right. where Jordan Love throws it, and it ends up looking like, you know, that's on a Jordan Love. It's actually really on Luke Musgrave. I'm not going to fault either one. It Luke Musgrave was open where he was. He settled into the zone where he was open. That just takes communication and, and time. You know, you're not... right. That's that's not end of the world on that's either a, side. That's a rookie, pretty much. Right. That's a rookie and a first year starter. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's that's what's going to happen on occasion. Uh, real quick, just kind of going back to the play you were mentioning the the fumbled snap. Yes, absolutely. The poise to pick it up, realize, like you said, what what you should have open for you. Um. Is what you know you have you have time to set that up, but also I mean how many quarterbacks and what you're taught at a young age is 
if you don't pick that up cleanly, which he did, so credit to him, you just fall on it. Right. And, you know, maybe the ball bounced. It's an oblong ball, so you, you have to have a little bit of luck. It bounces weird. But it takes a little bit of luck. He feels it cleanly and is able to look up with the world caving in on him and fires an absolute dart to Luke Musgrave. So that was a huge takeaway. Um, my other favorite play of the game, I think, beyond that, and not, not necessarily something Jordan Love did, but it ends up being very good on him too, and really playing into Matt LaFleur's creativity and knowing kind of what the book on a rookie quarterback is going to be, especially, in, or not a rookie quarterback, but a first-year starter quarterback is going to be in that situation the play action bootleg screen where he throws it across the field to Aaron Jones was honestly just incredible I mean it was one of those where you see it set up you don't even realize kind of what's happening in the moment and then you see what they did and you're like holy shit that's awesome Mm -hmm. like you can you can put it all there and you have that moment of, oh, okay. Right. And that's that's one of those where that's going to be one that you can point to as the season goes along. And maybe not something that they do frequently. You might not even see it again. But just to have that in the back pocket and, and know that that's an option. And getting Aaron Jones into the game, which has always been a Matt LaFleur mystery. Right. Of how he just disappears for a half. Right, because we, we were talking at halftime, and we we both came to the conclusion that you give Aaron Jones the ball, we, we're playing better as a team, and then we don't give it to him for the first, pretty much after that first drive. He wasn't even on the field after the first drive. Like, I mean, right. Uh, you know, huge shout out to Aaron Andrews for reminding Matt LaFleur in his halftime interview. <laughs> I, honestly, it, it, it's a joke because obviously Matt LaFleur knows, like, I'm sure he's able to put that all together and, and they have their packages and their set plays and, you know, they have their game plan of what they can slash will run and whatever. But uh, shout out to Aaron Andrews for saying, hey, what's, uh, what's the deal with Aaron Jones? Is he hurt or what's going on? And, Right. He just kind of, yeah, you know, we got to get him more involved. Like, that's on me. You know, I, I don't know why I do that, but credit to him opening up to it in that moment, too. And in the long run, kind of being able to make enough of a joke about it. And again, ends up leading to points right away. So, mm-hmm. last thing here, just about the current game uh, against Chicago. Talking about all three facets of the game, the defense I thought played very well. Against again, not a great team. Can you know we got to keep that in mm-hmm. perspective. This is the team that did have the number one, or she would have had the number one pick had they not traded it. And it's not like they got drastically better. I mean, you get DJ Moore; he's a upgrade over what you had. But DJ Moore and Chase Claypool were almost non-existent throughout the whole game. Mm-hmm. And that comes down to the defense playing just significantly more downfield and downhill than they did throughout a lot of last season. 
Yeah, I agree with you on that. And just being able to get pressure on the quarterback again, too. Rashawn Gary being back, Kenny Clark playing better. I think the stats right out were Justin Fields was pressured on 51% of his dropbacks. Yeah. And, and that, that's not a success. Or he's a quarterback that can move, too. So, I mean. And right, that's, that's not a recipe for success a lot of games. You know, that's not what you want to do every week. There's going to be games where you don't do that. Right. But it's also, you know, like you said, Kenny Clark and Devontae Wyatt getting home. It's. It's, you know, Lucas Van Ness stepping in and showing why you draft him 13th overall when the whole world thinks you need a receiver. Mm-hmm. And getting that sack seven yards behind the line of scrimmage and, and being able to chase down Justin Fields in the open field, which doesn't get talked about enough. Devontae Wyatt, for that matter, too, being able to do the same thing. So... Credit to the, the, the front, really the front seven. Uh, Quay Walker gets the, you know, the noise with the interception. He does get the injury with the concussion as well, which was kind of a, a bullshit yeah. happening. I mean, that should never have happened. Uh, put the dude on skates where the guy should have had him wrapped up, the receiver, and just said, no, nope, I'm going this way. Yeah. Ends up getting the six. Uh, really, I mean, you look. I'm looking at the box score right now, Sean. First of all, Darnell Savage having 10 tackles, leading the team in tackles, playing downhill, playing fast. Hmm. I, I didn't realize that until yesterday. Great. Uh, Keyshawn Nixon, eight tackles, seven solo, one tackle for a loss. Darnell Savage also had a tackle for a loss. Just better wrapping up. Russell Douglas had eight tackles, six solo. Devondre Campbell having seven. Preston Smith, five. Isaiah McDuffie, four. Quay Walker, four. Rudy Ford, four. Jair Alexander, three. Jonathan Owens, three. Devontae Wyatt, three with the one and a half sacks. Uh, two tackles for a loss. Eric Wilson, three. One solo. Uh, Lucas Vanessa, the two tackles, including the sack. Um, Kenny Clark combining for two tackles with half a sack on the other one with Devontae Wyatt. So really, I mean, you look at, oh, Carl Brooks also having a sack as well, his first career sack. So you can look at a lot of a lot of this game again, just all three facets of football. And just be very thoroughly impressed and keep in perspective, but at the same time be very excited about the speed and the youth of this team. Right. Uh elsewhere around the NFL, real quick here as we wrap up week one. Kind of did it a little bit in the early the part of the fantasy show or fantasy football segment, but uh, starts off with a shock. Week one, Detroit Lions go into Kansas City in Arrowhead. Knock off the Chiefs 21-20 in the opening game of the season. Big takeaway from that game, the Lions don't suck. The Chiefs' skill players, without Travis Kelsey, do suck. <laughs> Kadarius Tony especially. Yes. Uh, looking through the rest of the NFL, uh, and I'll loop back here as to why we're doing this, but Texans or Ravens, a 25-9 winner over the Texans. The Browns hosting the Bengals, 24-3 winner over the Bengals. I think the best quote of the weekend came from Jamar Chase, who said why he was so upset with the game. 
He said, I called their ass elves, and we got our ass kicked by some elves. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, Miles Garrett is the guy. I mean, that's that's what that game really boils down to. The, the defense for Cleveland came to play terrible conditions with the rain. Really limited that Bengals offense as a whole. Um, in the NFC North, Vikings go to 0-1 after losing to the Baker Mayfield-led Buccaneers, 20-17. That might, aside from the Packer game, that, that which was just, you know, it's fun, it's Packers, but that might have been one of the more fun games to watch this weekend, mm-hmm. where the first half was looking all Minnesota, it ends up being a tie. Um, another funny moment is Matt Ryan was in the booth uh, commentating on that game. And I can't remember who the the play by play guy was, but he mentions, yeah, this game feels like it should be twenty eight to three Vikings. And you can just see the life leave Matt Ryan's eyes. Yeah. And then pointing about the turnovers, which they did. Kirk Cousins played like what we always we joke about primetime Kirk Cousins. He played like primetime at noon Kirk Cousins. Uh-huh. And Baker Mayfield played like the Baker Mayfield that was the number one overall pick in the second half. He found Mike Evans, which made me glad I have him on my dynasty team. <laughs> but Mike Evans kind of looked the, like the Mike Evans old a little bit and kind of proven he still got it. And Tampa Bay said they weren't going to pay him and kind of proven that maybe they should rethink that going forward here. That offense is good, though. That offense is still good. Mm-hmm. Uh, next game here, Titans end up trailing and losing to the Saints 16-15 close one in New Orleans uh, the new look Falcons defeat the new look Panthers 24-10 Jaguars Colts ends up being a lot closer than it probably should have been a 31-21 win for the Jags 49ers all over the Steelers 30-7 Commanders out ugly the Cardinals 20-16 the Broncos once again start a season 0-1 losing to the Raiders 17-16 the Dolphins and Chargers in a back-and-forth, high-speed, high-scoring affair. Dolphins end up winning that one 36-34. Eagles serve court. They defeat the Patriots, ruin Tom Brady's homecoming 25-20. The Rams go into Seattle. Quiet 12th man win 30-13. And then the primetime games to end the weekend. Cowboys, as we mentioned, all over the Giants. Awful showing for that Giants offense. Lose 40-0. to, thir- 40 to zero. And then in Monday Night Football, Zach Wilson leads the comeback among all comebacks without Aaron Rodgers, who goes down with the, now, as we know, the torn Achilles, three plays in. And the Jets take down the Bills 22-16. Very common joke on the internet is that Josh Allen had more completions to the Jets than Aaron Rodgers did. Uh, Josh Allen throwing three interceptions and a fumble. So not a not a great game from the Madden cover athlete. Looks like the Madden curse may be back alive and well. It is just one game, so I'm not going to get too excited about it. The Jets' defense is good. Um, right. You know, if you're an right. NFL you're an nfl fan you know it's kind of one of those where i know a lot of packer fans don't want to hear it and people who listen to the show probably don't want to hear it but it just makes you wonder what if you have a healthy eight all season long as to what that team 
could be. And they are apparently going to look into veteran quarterbacks. Um, allegedly, Colin Kaepernick's agent reaching out to the Jets. Um, Why? Why? I said the same thing, Sean. I said, Colin Kaepernick may be interested in the Je- playing quarterback for the Jets. Hell, I'm interested in playing quarterback for the Jets. Doesn't mean the right. Jets want either one of us. <laughs> right. So Matt, I think I think Matt Ryan would be a perfect fit there. Matt Ryan, um, I don't know. A lot better fit than Carson Wentz. Right. But Matt Ryan looked pretty good in the booth on Sunday too. So I don't know if he wants to go that route, but. Jets, I, I think Jets, they are calling. Jet fans want Tom Brady. I've seen crazier things happen. I don't. I don't know. That's that's one of those where I don't foresee happening. It'd be Brett funny. Favre. Brett Favre. I think Tom Brady. I think Colin Kaepernick might be a little bit more practical than Brett Favre. I'm gonna go on record saying that. Oh, no, they, had Dan Marino, they had Dan Marino suit up in the NFL commercial, so that would be a good one, too. I, I will say, to Favre's credit, he does know the city. He knows what reporters not to text. Right, which trainers to use. Yep. So maybe there's something there. I don't know. <laughs> you never know. All right, so that wraps up week one of the NFL, Sean. Uh, week two picks. So we did our pick segment last week. Not a great week for you, Sean. No. Shauna and I tied at 10 and 6 on the weekend. You came in, obviously, in last at 5 and 11. Ooh, rough one. So as we go through here, we do have our weekly picks here. We pick every game in the NFL. Uh, no college games here once again, just because we're not in buys. And- we don't have a nice uh, paper template here to go through like we did where we had to get an exact amount. So we start off Thursday night football. Eagles playing host to the Vikings. The Eagles are a seven-point favorite. Shauna is going with the Eagles in that one. I'm going to go Eagles also. You know, it is primetime Kirk. Justin Jefferson looked pretty good. But I also am going to go with the Eagles in that one as well. I could see that, you know, seven is a lot, and that's kind of where it, this game, I think, kind of becomes more of a true pick as opposed to, you know, like the spread. I could very much see the Eagles winning that by like three or four, too. But I'm, I'm feeling pretty good about the seven. So mm-hmm. I think the Eagles are just at a better spot right now than the Vikings are. Uh, that could be a very big game for the Vikings to avoid going down 0-2 because the other two teams in the NFC North right now who are 1-0, the Packers and the Lions both have very winnable games this week. Which leads us to our next game, and usually I save the Packers for last, but because they're playing at noon, I can lead off with them for the Sunday slate. Packers traveling to Atlanta. Packers a two-point favorite on the road. That game's switching from kind of what it had initially been on early lines after the Packers 38-20 win over the Bears. Shauna has the Packers in this one. And I think I'm going to follow suit this on this one as well. I think I'm going to go Atlanta. That's I, I don't blame you. No. I don't know. I, I thought they looked pretty good and that their defense is just 
is good too. I don't know. I feel like this is gonna be this is this is gonna be a more of a test than we think. I will give you that, and I think just while we're because we're probably gonna pay a little bit more attention to this one here for our pick's sake. I think looking ahead to this one, I think defensively this is gonna be a bit more of a test mm-hmm. as well. Which I mean, the defense was a significant part of that win and again like i said earlier set up jordan love on a lot of short fields and gave them extra opportunities had the interception that was the pick six had the i believe they had a fumble as well fumble recovery uh yeah so you know gave extra opportunities as well uh no word on christian watson's progress i think if he plays it fares a little bit better for the Packers, obviously, you don't want to go down. Obviously, we also don't know Aaron Jones' status. I feel like he's probably going to go. Um, I feel like he probably could have gone on Sunday had that game been closer. But, again, that's we wait. We get you know see how he practices and what the practice situation looks like. Uh, game two on Sunday, we got Raiders traveling to Buffalo. Buffalo's a nine-and-a-half-point favorite in that one. Shauna has the Raiders. I think I'm going to go the Raiders to cover. If I was picking a money line, I think I'd go Bills, but I'm going to go Raiders cover. I, th- I think I'm going to pick the Bills. I think the Bills yeah. are going to get their ass back in gear this week. and They're going to be a pissed-off yeah. team. I will right. fully give you that. I think if that game's like... I, I think if it's even like a six-and-a-half, seven-point spread, I'm picking the Bills. But nine-and-a-half is just... It's a lot. I could also foresee that game, you know, like you said, just Josh Allen hears all the talk all week and goes out and throws four touchdowns, no picks, 430 yards or something stupid. Right. So I go Raiders. Sean's going Raiders. You're going Bills. Uh, Bengals get their home opener. Ravens, Bengals, Cincinnati, a three-and-a-half-point favorite at home. I think they get their shit together, and I think they get the win. Sean is also picking the Bengals. Um, she does not have Joey in all caps like she usually would, but I, I I'm reading it that it's there. So yeah, I, I I agree with you guys. I think the Bengals are gonna gonna take that gonna take that one too. All right, uh, looking at the next set here for noon games, Chiefs on the road in Jacksonville. Chiefs are a three point favorite there. Shauna has the Chiefs. Sean, what say you? I feel like you're going to go Jacksonville. Maybe. Because you threw it to me first. But I I think the Chiefs get back on track here. So I'm going to go Chiefs. I'm just trying to make this fair because we each got to kind of go, you know, a little bit back and forth here. I uh, can't always let you go last. But I, I am going to go Jags. Um, you know, that three... That very well could be a push. I could very well see that being what ends up being the final difference. If I knew Travis Kelsey was 100% going to be playing, I'd probably go the other way. But because there's question marks and because, actually, you know, I loved what I saw about Calvin Ridley and mm-hmm. and Trevor Lawrence, that's a dynamic offense. And Travis Etienne's still around. And you have, you know, other pieces there as well. I like the Jags a lot in that division. You know, especially with no JT to start the season for the Colts, with 
rookie quarterback there with the Texans still being probably a year or two away and from the, the Titans taking a big step back. That seems like Jacksonville's division to lose, and you got to think they got to kind of have foot on the gas all year long to kind of keep that sharp. That's right. kind of where I'm going, Jags here. Uh, also, keeping in mind with the AFC South, Titans hosting the LA Chargers. The Chargers, a three point favorite. Sean, what do you got on this one? Chargers. Sean is also going Chargers, as am I. Uh, Detroit playing host. They get their home opener this week, hosting the Seattle Seahawks, six point favorite at home. Seattle. Sean is going Detroit on this one. I'm going to take Seattle as well. I think that's, you know, again, I I say this every time. First of all, this is, you know, without looking at the full slate, uh, that'd be the game that if I had to put money on it, I wouldn't. Right. That that very well could be a number of different ways that that goes. But also for what it's worth, um, that six is a lot. I could see that being a field goal game. I, you know, I see where Sean was going with this. Detroit looked really good at times against the Chiefs, but they almost only scored 21, so a six-point. They, they, they still should have lost. That's, right. That's the other thing. So give me the Seahawks to cover that. Uh, next slate here, Colts, Texans in Houston. India, one-point favorite on the road. Sean has got the Texans. I'm going with the Colts. Yeah, I'll agree with you. I'm going to go Colts. I think that team's just better. Bears travel to Tampa Bay to play the Bucks. The Bucks only a three-point favorite in that one. Give me Baker feeling dangerous all day long. I've got the Bucks. Sean has got the Bucks. You know what? I'm going to take the Bears. Bears to cover that. Covering the three. So, I mean, that's basically almost a win. I mean, with the whole, the good old-fashioned, you know, you get three for being at home, that's basically a pick Mm-hmm. But, I'm okay. All right. Cardinals hosting the Giants. The Giants a five-and-a-half-point favorite. This, I take that back for the Detroit-Seattle game. This is the game I'm not <laughs> touching with a 20-foot pole. Sean is going with the Cardinals. Honestly, I think I'm going to go the same. I don't think the Giants play as bad as they did against Dallas. I don't think that's, for what it's worth, I don't think that's possible for, you know, having Saquon Barkley on your team. I don't think the Cardinals were as bad as everyone expected them to be Mm -mm. either. And that's a very young team. But until I'm proven wrong, I think I'm leaning Cardinals on this one, as is Shauna. I'm going to... They can't, they can't be as bad as they were last week, so give me the Giants. <laughs> 49ers at Rams. 49ers are an eight-point favorite on the road. Shauna's got the 49ers. I'm going Rams. I don't love this one either. No, I was thinking the same thing. That's one of those where I think the spread comes back, where I very much see the 49ers winning. I was super impressed with them offensively and defensively for that matter, but I was also very impressed with the Rams going into Seattle and taking down a playoff team from last year mm-hmm. without Cooper Cup. Right. But I th- I think the 49ers cover that. I mean, they, they almost have to. All right. Dallas hosting the Jets. The J- Dallas Cowboys, an eight-and-a-half-point favorite. Sean is going Cowboys. I'm going Cowboys. Yeah, I'm going to go Cowboys also. 
All right. Commanders, Buck Broncos in another ugly game. The Broncos, a three and a half point favorite at home. I'm going to go Broncos. Shauna has the Commanders. Commanders. All right. Sunday Night Football, we've got Dolphins, Patriots. The Dolphins, a two and a half point favorite on the road in New England. Shauna's going Dolphins. Sean? Dolphins. I'm also going Dolphins. And then Monday Night Football, two games next week. Got the doubleheader. Saints at the Panthers. Saints a three-point favorite. Sean's going Saints. I think I'm going Panthers here. I'm going Saints. And then Browns, Steelers in Pittsburgh. Cleveland a two-and-a-half-point favorite on the road. Shauna's going Steelers. I'm going Browns. I'm going to go Browns also. All right. With that, Sean, that leads us real quick here to our bar of the week. And in the spirit of us going to Madison, Wisconsin for the Badger game this weekend, I'm going to pick a Madison bar. And I'm going to go to the pick here is Scotty Bar. 1421 Regent Street, Madison, Wisconsin. A large, lively spot for burgers, bites, and a full bar. 20 draft beers plus sports on TV. Uh, one of those kind of known in Madison as one of the stadium bars. The review here, uh, 4.4 stars on Google. Also, uh, just real quick here, stopped in for lunch, ordered the Reuben sandwich with fries. It was one of the best I've ever had. Corned beef was perfectly shredded with a mixture of juicy and crisp ends. Just the right amount of sauerkraut and Thousand Island dressing. Highly recommend the Reuben. Um, that a five-star review from Trevor. Others just talking about the atmosphere, especially when games are going cheap beer on specific days like Thursdays. Rock solid college bar, excellent link, strong tap list. Much love for this joint. So plenty of highly reviews on Scotty Bar in Madison. Nice. Which then leads us to what are we rooting for in the upcoming week? I'll let you go first. Oh, it's going to be a Badger game. It's going to be so much fun. Yeah, absolutely. The Camp Randall is a incredible experience uh for those of you that have not experienced it i recommend that you do really kind of a hidden gem i mean everyone talks about you know tailgating in milwaukee or going to a packery of tailgating lambeau field which is historical in every right but camp randall kind of slept on and and even if you're not a student very great experience so sean i'm very excited that you get to experience that i'm very excited to experience your first badger game as well mm-hmm mm-hmm that's going to wrap it up here for the Rupert Wisconsin Show, episode 126. For Shauna, Justin Ramsey, not here. I'm Eric, that's Sean. We were here. We're the books. We're out. See ya. See ya.